visiting from out of town it's nice to have you here if you're visiting back uh, it's nice to have you here as well it's uh it's always a pleasure to uh to gather together on sunday uh with god's family we've got a couple announcements that we just want to bring to your attention um if you haven't seen the red truck outside, it's there. And so um, if you're able to give blood, they would very much appreciate it. And it's a way for you to help someone else. Might be someone you don't know. It might be someone that you do know. Uh, but uh, but I know blood supplies can go up and down. But uh, um, they would be very appreciative of that. And it will be a, a way to uh, help the community. Uh, we're continuing our, our drive to collect school supplies for the, um, the children of the Christian Homes for Children Ministry. Uh, if you look online, sunsetmiami.org, and go to the events uh, tab, uh, you'll be able to find the specific items, but we'll be collecting those for a couple more weeks, so please keep that in mind. Um, if you had to summarize your life in six words, to tell your story in six words, how would you do it? What would you say? That challenge was uh, based on an unsubstantiated anecdotal story, anecdotal story that Arthur C. Clarke told about a meeting uh, that they had, he and a couple other guys, with Ernest Hemingway. And so the challenge was to Hemingway to write a story in six words. So Hemingway thought, got out a napkin, and wrote these words. For sale, baby shoes, never worn. And if you think about that story, and you think about what's behind that, you sense that that's, that's a whole story. That's a wave of emotion. So, an online newspaper and journal asked people to write in, and there were so many responses from well-known authors and obscure individuals who had no business writing, but they still wrote in. Some couldn't count, you know, six words, and some sent in four words and ten words, and so they ended up putting it together in a series of books. It's I think there's like five different books. The first was entitled, Not Quite What I Was Planning. These are some of the entries. One tooth, one cavity, life's cruel. <laughs> the psychic said I'd be richer. Here's another. Label, not for oral use. Oops. <laughs> uh, not a good Christian, but trying. Only child, but never the favorite. <laughs> cursed, this was by a nine-year-old boy, cursed with cancer, blessed with friends. Thought I would have more impact. Well, it's an interesting challenge. And maybe sometime this afternoon you could sit down and, and kind of flesh out what might be your six words. I know mine, and I'll tell you later if you want. But if we were to put that question to Jesus, how would you sum up everything you know about God in six words? What would it be? 
would be these words plus <laughs> the phrase love God, love others as yourself. <clears throat> Those six words pretty much sum up everything that God's been trying to communicate to all of us for all of the time he's been trying. So the text that we're going to see in Mark chapter 12 today is this very question. Now the question is posed a little bit differently than how would you sum up everything in six words. The question posed is, of all of the commandments, which is the most important? Now this was a... a, a intellectual exercise that the rabbis had been doing for for years. They had already counted and there were 613 commands in the Old Testament. We're familiar with the Ten Commandments, well there are a whole bunch more. And of all those, uh, which one would be the most important? The first. Don't murder because, yeah, that's killing. Um, it, it might be um, don't steal because that's going to hurt people, and 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 so you know all each one of those commands is important, and Jesus summarizes them in this way. One of the teachers of the law came and heard the debating that was going on. Carlos talked about that last week, uh, the week before. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, the scribe, the teachers of the law, asked Jesus, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one answered Jesus is this. And he's quoting from Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And then the command is, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and all of your strength. And before the man could jump in, Jesus said, and the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Love God, love your neighbor, or love others as yourself. The man congratulates Jesus and says, well said, teacher, you are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all of your, uh, your heart and your understanding and your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. When you think about trying to summarize everything that God is into a number of words or into the commandment, What's striking is that Jesus chose what then other authors after him will do repeatedly. He chose love. I would have probably chosen obey. And they're related. But he didn't say obey. We might have chosen submit. He didn't choose submission, even though submission is related to love. 
He said the most important thing is to love God and not just this superficial, emotional kind of up and down love that we experience on a regular basis. This is a much deeper love that involves our entire being, every part. The totality of who we are should be love. If someone were to describe you in one word, well, let me put it this way. If someone were to describe me in one word, I can confess that that word would probably not be love. It could be a lot of things. Funny. Uh, uh, I, I get curmudgeon a lot. I don't know why. Those people are just out, of, out in left field. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> love. Is that the one word that people would use to describe you? Because of all the characteristics of God that we read about in Scripture, that we witness in His interaction with human beings, when John gets to the end of his life and the end of the writing of the New Testament, he comes up and says, you know, when you get right down to it, God is love. That's it. Love. Now, there's three loves that are described in this text that Jesus, uh, the two commandments. Love God, love your neighbor as you love yourself. That last one has generated quite a bit of discussion, and it goes basically in two different camps. On the one hand, people say, well, you should love yourself because a healthy self-love uh, will help you have a good self-image and will help you be better adjusted in the world and be able to live. Others would suggest that we've gone overboard with the self-love stuff. <laughs> we've put ourselves at the top and we've spent so much energy on what we feel like we deserve that that's not a really healthy thing. I, I think part of it is when he says to love our neighbor as ourselves, it doesn't mean to love our neighbor as much as we love ourselves, but to love our neighbor in the same ways that we love ourselves. Now, whether you admit it or not, or you recognize it or not, we all love ourselves. There, there is an instinct within us, and I would believe it's a God instinct, that self-preservation. We're going to take care of ourselves. We're going to do what we have to do. And there's an instinct within us to protect our family, to do what's best for our children. We might be confused and we might disagree on what is best, but that instinct is there. How do we love ourselves? I am tolerant of my mistakes. For some reason, I can look at myself in the mirror every morning and I can think about the things that I do wrong on a regular basis, and I can still live with myself. How do you do that? Because we can't do that sometimes with people around us who make the very same mistakes that we do. When they make them, unacceptable. When I make them, well, you know, it's just me. And I think part of the reason is because I want to believe that my motives are good. Really, deep down, I want to be a good person. I just mess up. 
when I'm looking at someone else and they do the same thing I'm doing, I don't know their heart, and so I tend to doubt their heart, and I'm thinking they're probably coming out of a negative or an unhealthy perspective, and so I doubt their motive. And so I'm more critical with other people than I am myself. And so I am to, and I do, overlook my own sins. I do make time for what I want to do. I read a quote this week from John Piper, who's a preacher up in uh, um, uh, Minneapolis, I believe. He said, at the end of time, Facebook and Twitter will have served one purpose. To show that humanity had plenty of time and the excuse that I couldn't pray because I was too busy just goes right out the window. We have time to do many of the things that we want to. And so I love myself by not only be by, by being tolerant, by having time for myself, by being interested in what I'm doing. I make excuses for myself. I try and uh, uh, put my image before others in a very positive light. I was going to show you, uh, but then I decided against it because, I, I again, self-preservation. Uh, I, I did the, the face app picture where I, you, know, you turn yourself into an old person. And, um, and, and I've got it on my phone if you really, really, really wanted to see it. I just didn't think it needed to be up on the screen. It might you know, scare the children and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's, it's pretty funny. We, we've had numerous laughs about that. But see, there's this desire to kind of protect yourself. And all of those, I think, are very natural and normal, unless they get to an extreme. But, but those are natural and normal. But what Jesus is saying is, and what God has been saying since Leviticus, that same attitude you should have to other people. You should look to protect them. You should understand that they want to protect their children. That they're looking for the very best in their lives as well. And it's interesting... How Jesus highlights verse 18 in Leviticus 19, right? Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people. He's talking about the Jewish people. But love your neighbor, your Jewish neighbor, as yourself. I am the Lord. Uh, In this context, what God is commanding his people is, is to love your Jewish neighbors. But lest we think that our non-Jewish neighbors, that we're off the hook for them, later in the very same chapter, this is what God says. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Love them as yourself. For you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Same phrase. Love your neighbor. Love the foreigner as yourself. So so what does God want from us? Love. Love, love, love. And if you think about it, that's what God wants. It's been sung many times, but that's what the world needs now. 
And while we might need something in addition to love, and we couldn't sing with the Beatles, all you need is love, it definitely comes down to how much love do I exhibit in my life? Love for God, love for others in the way that I am loving myself. The other thing that Jesus does in this text is he combines love for God and love for our neighbor or for others and fuses them together so they can't be split up. The Jewish people, and they're not alone in this, had developed a system where they could kind of love God, but they didn't have to love one another. And they kind of let themselves off the hook from having to love one another. And I think we do that in different ways in today's world. But Jesus fuses these two ideas together to say that one is just as important as the other. And if you're going to follow me, Jesus says, you will love God. And in the same heartbeat, you will love others. Now, the good news is that it's Jesus has made it pretty clear. There's no question. And love is something that you don't have to have a degree to do. <laughs> you don't have to have tons of money to do. You don't have to be employed to do. You don't have to be married to do. You don't have to be a parent or a grandparent. Any situation that you find yourself in, no matter what it is, you can fulfill this command. You can love God and you can love others. For some, they start. we all start at different places. But love is an equal opportunity for all of us. That's the good news. We can do it. The bad news is we don't. The bad news is we don't. We really don't love God with all of our heart and all of our mind and all of our strength, all of our very being. We don't love others the way that we love ourselves. I saw a cartoon. Well, it was a, it was a cartoon, but it spoke truth. And I, I looked for it and I didn't find it, but um, or a guy being baptized. And uh, and he was all the way underwater, except the hand with his billfold was up above the water. He says, God, you can have all of me except my money, because that's important. And you think about the different things that we have in our life. God, you can have all of this, but I'm not going to let you into this room. I'm not going to give up that habit. Uh, that I have this relationship that, you know, we just have to have an understanding that we're going to agree to disagree. And in today's world, unfortunately, as we think about loving others, politics takes precedence over God's very word. Now, I, I, I don't want to get into any of the different perspectives about politics about red states and blue states and who's for this and who's for that. 
I don't want to get into any kind of discussion about immigration law or the best way to control our borders. But scripture is clear. Just a few verses from where Jesus taught that we should love one another as we love our, our we should love our neighbor as we love ourselves. God tells us that we should love the foreigners among us. So when you think about it, love truly is the answer. Love your friends. Love your family. Love the people that you like. The people who agree with you. The people that you agree with. And also love your enemies. And the people you don't agree with. And the people who don't agree with you. There's only one response for every single person in the world. <laughs> love. It doesn't matter whether they're good or they're bad. It doesn't matter whether they're male or female. It doesn't matter what country they come from. It doesn't any of the demographic markers that we would put. It doesn't matter what color they vote. If they're human and they're alive, we have one responsibility to love. Now, I don't know about you, but that part I understand up here. It's the doing that gets challenging. And so let me just share a couple examples of stories that simply make the point that small things matter in big ways. I read a story by a minister uh, in his congregation, there was an individual that had come to the Lord as an adult. And so he asked him to write his story. How did you come to the Lord? He says, well, he wasn't a believer. He lived next door to a believer. And they would talk over the back fence. They would you know, borrow each other's lawnmowers and tools and stuff like that. And then the non-believer's wife got cancer. And within three months, she had passed away. And so this was part of the letter that he wrote the minister. He says, I was in total despair. I went, the, I went through the funeral preparations and the service like I was in a trance. After the service, I went to the path along the river and walked all night. But I didn't walk alone. My neighbor, afraid for me, I guess, stayed with me all night. The neighbor that was a Christian, he didn't speak. He didn't even walk beside me. He just followed me. And when the sun finally came up over the river, he came over and said, let's go get some breakfast. So I go to church now, my neighbor's church. A religion that can, pro that can produce the kind of caring and love my neighbor showed me is something I want to find out more about. I want to love and be loved like that for the rest of my life. Nothing big. Spending time with someone. It might be helping someone that you see who is in a moment of need. 
There was a gentleman named Alfred Edmund who was stuck in Overland Park, Kansas. His motorcycle had run out of gas. And Edmund had run out of money after a long trip from Mexico, New Mexico. He was just 14 miles to his destination where he had an important job interview. Police car pulls over Overland Park Police Sergeant Dan Carney. Carney pulls up his squad car, asks what's going on, and gives Alfred $8 to fill the tank in his motorcycle. Then drove away. Alfred wrote down Sergeant Carney's name, but somewhere along the way, he lost that piece of paper. 21 years later, Alfred stumbles, as he's moving some things around, across that piece of paper with Sergeant Carney's name on it. And he decided to send him an $8 money order with a note thanking him for his help in a time of need. And Carney is the one who's talking to the radio, the, the television station in Kansas City. And he says, it's unbelievable. One little comment or one little thing here or there can mean so much to someone. And I would imagine if we were to go around the room, if we had the time and we, we, we took the effort to, to, to ask, every single one of us could remember some moment when we were in a moment of need and someone came alongside and gave us some help. A Christian trauma expert writes that what we can do for people who are in desperate situations or in situations of need is that we can provide a place of refuge. We can provide a safe place. Jamie Atten writes that she learned a lot about how to provide refuge when she went to uh, help the survivors of Katrina after the hurricane. And she interviewed one of the gentlemen who said he was trying to escape in car. And as he started to drive away, the winds kept getting stronger and stronger and he started to lose visibility. He knew he wasn't going to make it very far down his very street. And he started to panic because he didn't know what to do. He felt like he was stuck in between home and, and wherever he was wanting to go. And a neighbor who he had never met before was standing outside in the pouring rain and the howling wind with a particle board sign, homemade with the words that said, Stop here. And rather than continuing on his journey, he turned into his neighbor's driveway and found a safe haven. So all of us are either in a position to look for safe haven or we're in a position to offer refuge. But that's what it looks like to love. It doesn't require a lot of preparation. It simply requires imaging and being like God and providing that blessing to the people around us. Now, it's interesting that Jesus says to this man that he wasn't far from the kingdom. And that could be taken two ways, right? 
you're not far, but you're not there, or you're getting closer. And most commentators tend to view this in a positive way to encourage this man because this is the one time in all of Scripture that a teacher of the law spoke positively to Jesus. But regardless, he still wasn't there. And I think what can probably keep a lot of us out of the kingdom, at least in this context, would be not loving If the very essence of God is love, and what God expects from us is to love God and love others as ourself, as a summary statement of everything that God has said in the Old Testament and everything that Jesus came to show us in the New Testament, if that is truly the summary, and yet that isn't important, or I have not made that a priority in my life, then I would say, yeah, I'm kind of far from the kingdom. And so my encouragement today, as we go through the rest of our summer, is to think, if I need refuge, there are people here that can offer that. But many of us have already received refuge, and so the challenge for us is to offer. And it might take holding up a sign, stop here. Ask me. But unfortunately, in our world, we don't have time. We've got other things to do. And so, let me encourage. If you see someone struggling, ask. Hold up your invisible sign, but mentally offer refuge. Do you need a break? Can I walk alongside you? Can I walk behind you? Not in a creepy way. Can I help and bless? Those moments, the way that we take care of ourselves and we look at others to take care of them in the same way will be what helps us to get close to the kingdom. If you have any specific needs that you would like us to pray about, if you're ready to enter the kingdom through baptism and begin that life with Jesus, we'd love to help you with that. Uh, If you have a prayer request, we'd be honored to pray for you. Our brother Cheryl will be at the front. Let's all stand and sing.